Well, hey, uh, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here at FCC, and I am the pastor that undercut the other one by four minutes for the longest recorded sermon in 2022, just so you know, don't get it confused. But hey, it's my joy and my honor to welcome you guys, and really excited to kick off this year with you. I recognized last night how old I'm getting, because one, I'm too old to like do the whole party thing. Like I'm like, whatever, y'all have fun, I'm going to bed. Um, but when I was laying in bed, I was like, you know, I didn't tell my kids, see you next year. I felt like that would have been the perfect dad joke. And how many of you dads told that joke? Come on, be honest. You looked at somebody yesterday and you said, I'll see you next year. I know you did, okay? Um, but hey, New Year's, happy New Year. It's so much fun to welcome you into this year. And I don't know what your typical New Year celebrations look like. I don't know what your conversations are like. I don't know what it is about stepping into a new day, a new season, a new year that gets you excited, that gets you rejuvenated, that gets you like gung-ho, ready to go. Um, but sometimes we walk into these seasons, we walk into Mondays, we walk into first of the months, we walk into first of the years with a little bit of trepidation sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's because we've looked back and we've taken inventory of the things that have gone on in the past 365 days and there's maybe a little regret. Uh, maybe there's a little disdain for some of the things that have gone on, for some of the things that maybe happened. And, and then there's that, that hope that, man, maybe this year is going to be different. Maybe this year is going to be better. And so we start setting goals, right? Or, or maybe some of you do. I stopped doing this a long time ago because I just realized I was failing all the time, right? But maybe some of you still do this. You set these New Year's resolutions and you get your hopes really, really high. And you get super ambitious. And then it's 11 a.m. on January 1st and you've already lost. Anybody? You're like, man, I'm not going to eat sugar this year. And you had a donut right when you walked in and you saw them in the cafe and you were just drawn to it. There's something about our inability to completely follow through all the time. There, there's something about our inadequacies, our inefficiencies that cause us to stumble and fall. And very rarely do we do these resolutions and move forward and experience total victory 100% of the time. We all stumble. We all fail, we all mess up, we all make mistakes, but it's how we respond in those moments that end up defining you. So maybe you had a donut today and the next thing you put in your mouth has to be something healthy. Good job, way to go, good luck to you, right? <laughs> but what do we do, what do we do when we can't seem to get out of that rut? What do we do when we can't seem to get moving or propelled in the direction that we want to do? You know, the funny thing that, that exists with the whole New Year's thing is that we wait until these, these bookmarks or these benchmarks or these days uh, in order to do something, right? You'll be super ambitious. So you're going to say, on Monday, I'm going to do, or on January 1st, I'm going to start. Why wait? Why is it that we wait, right? Like if something is worth doing, isn't it worth doing now? Like why do we continually push off and put off what it is that God wants for us. See, God doesn't wanna wait till January 1. He doesn't wanna wait till Monday. He doesn't wanna wait till tomorrow. See, we serve a God and we worship a God that makes big waves in his time. And so if God is pressing something on your heart, on your mind, on your spirit, there's not a start date out there. God's inviting you to step into it now and in his time and in his purpose. 
And so when we continue to push off and we continue to delay and we continue to look ahead and say, okay, tomorrow or next month or next year, what we're doing is we're resisting what God wants to do in our life and in the moment. And so as we do look ahead, I thought it'd be good for us to take a moment to also reflect and to celebrate some things that God has done in our midst, the ways that he has made here at FCC and in our community through God's people being obedient and being faithful. Some of these things you've already heard, but just to, to hit them again and celebrate them. We have this amazing partnership with Lifeline Mission. And we talked about Lifeline last week at our Christmas Eve services, and we had a, a big portion of our giving going to support them. This past summer, we packed over 100,000 meals to go across seas to serve families and mouths in need of food. Like 100,000 meals. You gathered here on a Saturday in the middle of the summer to feed mouths. Like, that's awesome. Way to go, church. We've had over 6,000 unique individuals come through and be blessed through our food and clothing ministries of common goods here at FCC. 6,000 people. Like, that's a ton of people, FCC. Uh, one of my favorite things is we hired a student pastor, Clarence. Man, if you guys have not met this guy yet... He didn't know I was gonna do that. I love this dude. I love his heart for our students and I love his heart for our families. And I'm so excited. If you're a middle school or high school student or a family with one and you haven't met this guy yet, you need to meet him. And better yet, you need to get to midweek on Wednesday nights and jump into community and get involved with those guys. We've had, we've had our on-campus attendance grow by over 30%. It's crazy. The amount of people that are continually coming in. And, and here's why that is important, because it's not about numbers. It's about what happens over there when people faithfully listen and respond to God's invitation in their life. And over the last year, we've had around 100 people walk into redemptive, restored relationship with Jesus and be baptized. Like, that is something to celebrate. Now, I'll be honest. If you would have told me Last February, I don't know if y'all were here, but we were kind of going through some stuff. If you would have told me last February that we would be celebrating those kind of numbers and those kind of waves and those kind of decisions and those kind of moments and movements, there would have been this part of me that would have said, yeah, you're crazy. And I, I need to repent of that because here's what I did. I, I, I looked at the circumstances that we were in the midst of and I thought, oh my gosh, like how are we gonna get through this? Like what's, what's gonna happen? What's gonna be the result of this? And you know what the result is? God is God and God doesn't stop and God doesn't change and God continues to change lives and meet people and transform lives in the midst of whatever is going on around us. And in the midst of what we were getting ready to go through as a church in the beginning of last year, God wasn't surprised. God wasn't thrown off. God's faithfulness remained and his people responded. And because of the faithful obedience of his people merging with the faithful purpose of God, lives have been changed and people have met Jesus and ministry has happened here in Canton and across the globe because of people listening and following Jesus. It's amazing what happens when God's people are activated in the fulfillment and the fullness of his mission and his purpose. 
One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite people to read about in scripture is this guy named Gideon. And we're going to talk a little bit about Gideon. Gideon's this guy that we meet him in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and flip open uh, to Judges chapter 6. But Gideon's this guy in scripture, man, he's, he's gone through some stuff. He has some baggage. He has some wounds. He lives in a period of time that's before the birth and the arrival of the Messiah, Savior, Jesus. And so we're in Old Testament, we're in Old Covenant. God has this covenant with the people of Israel and Israel's been bad. In fact, like this is how God sums up the people of Israel in scripture in this period of time. It says, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they find themselves in a position where they're under control by the Midianites. It's like this enemy army. And they were so scared and terrified of the Midianites, they would often run and hide in caves and, and often these weird, crazy, off-the-map types of places. And their villages and their crops were continually raided and burned and stolen. And, and so the Israelites had this really fearful relationship and this fearful mentality because of the Midianites that were pursuing them, that were in opposition to them and that were persecuting them. And in the midst of their oppression, they cried out to God for salvation. And so God came to this guy named Gideon, and that's where we're going to jump in, in Judges chapter 6. And so we're going to start by reading verses 12 and 13. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles that our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You see, Gideon's got some wounds. He's like, He's having this kind of miraculous encounter, right, with the angel of the Lord. But his, his first reaction is, wait a second, if the Lord is really with us, you ever have those kind of moments? You endure hardship, you endure suffering, and in the midst of that suffering, and in the midst of that pain, you start to question God's presence, isn't it? Kind of ironic how a lot of times when we go through things, we buy into this deception that pain equates God's absence. And the truth is that we often find that God has purpose in the midst of our pain and suffering. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Paul writes that when we go through stuff, when we endure hardship, when we endure opposition, when we go through trials, when we encounter pain, that there is purpose in that pain. I don't know what your pain looks like. I know coming into this season that a lot of us are going through different things and different moments that have immense amounts of pain tied to them. And I can't speak and tell you what it is that God wants to do in the midst of your suffering or in the midst of your circumstances, but I can tell you this, that we hold on to hope in Jesus and we hold on to the hope that we have in salvation through Jesus that God can use that and will use that to his glory. I can't tell you that it's going to make it any easier. I can't do anything that's going to make it less painful. I can just tell you that 
at the end, there is the light that is Jesus. And that when we hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus, he will pull us through. Gideon's carrying some pain. He's got trauma tied to the pain and suffering that he's endured with his people. And it's led him to this point to question whether or not God is even there. Continues on, verses 14 through 16. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan's the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So here's Gideon, and now we, not only do we recognize that he's got some wounds, but we recognize Gideon's got some insecurities too. He's like, wait a second, do you know my family? Like, we're the weakest. I'm the weakest one of them. Like, I'm totally inept. I'm totally incapable. Like, you're looking at me and you're going to do that in and through me? There's no way. How many times do we hear that from the Lord and we're like, no way, he can't use me. I don't have that ability. I don't have that skill. God hasn't called me to do that. He's calling somebody to do that. For sure, it ain't me. But God continually is reminding him that it's not you, it's not your skill, it's not your ability, it's what I'm going to do in you and through you. The lens that Gideon was looking through was the lens that he had built for himself, not the lens that God was seeing him through. How drastically would our lives change if we were were able to see ourselves through the lens that God sees us? You see, when God looks at you, he looks at you as being somebody who is worth dying for, somebody who is worth giving his his son for. His plan and his purpose for your life was tied up into something so great and grand that you and I can't even comprehend. And when God looks at us, he looks at us as someone who is worthy. But oftentimes, we see ourselves through our own lens of insecurity and failures, But God looks at us in a different way. So Gideon takes this charge from God and he's like, okay, I guess I'm going to listen. I'm going to move. I'm going to walk in faithful obedience with this word that I have received from the Lord. Now, Gideon and the Israelite army sum up about 30,000 troops. Okay, The Midianite army sums up to about 135,000 troops. And so God's talking to Gideon, and I'm really kind of curious. I would love to hear how this conversation goes. God goes, you know what? This, uh, this battle's a little unfair. I don't think that we should go this route. Like 30,000 against 135,000, that is totally unfair when I'm on your side. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want you to go to your 30,000 men, and I want you to tell any of them, like, hey, if you're scared, if you don't want to fight, just go home. And about two-thirds of them go home, leaving them with about 10,000. God's like, you know what? We're getting a little closer. And he says, you know what? We're not quite there yet. What I want you to do is I want you to take the rest of the men, the 10,000 that are with you, and I want you to take them down to the river, and I want you to have them take a drink of water. And what we're going to do is this. The men who kneel by the river and scoop up water with their hands and drink, we're going to let them go home too. 
And then the guys that sit down next to the river and put their mouth to the water and drink, those are the guys that we're going to go fight with. And about 300 men sit down or kneel down by the river and put their mouth to the water and drink. And those are the 300 guys that Gideon goes into battle with against 135,000 Midianites. It was the OG 300. You thought Gerard Butler and This Is Sparta was good. This is the story that I want a movie about. You see, God was all about making sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that people knew that it was God's work. That there was no man that could take credit for it, that what was going to happen was absolutely 1,000% because of who he is. And so they go into battle and they annihilate the Midianite army. It says that Midianites were actually running around and killing themselves because they were in total dismay of what was going on And in the midst of that, in the midst of that victory, in Judges chapter 8, fast forward a couple of chapters. Chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, it says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your son, your grandson, will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son, for the Lord will rule over you. So Gideon not only walks in faithful obedience, responding to the word of the Lord that's put in front of him and experiencing this miraculous, triumphant victory, but when everybody claps their hands and cheers Gideon's name and rallies for him, he's like, This wasn't me. This was God. I'm not the one who needs to rule over you. You need to let the Lord rule over you. You see, when we experience good things in life, when we experience victory, we've got to be quick to point people to the one who's responsible for that in our lives. That we have victory and we have hope because of what God wants to do and what God can do in our lives, not because of our own abilities. The best part of this story, the part that I love the most, is how Jesus orchestrates this whole thing. And you're like, wait a second. I thought this was the Old Testament. I thought that Jesus didn't come for a long, long time. You see, there are these things in Scripture throughout the Old Testament that scholars call Christophanies. And there are these moments throughout the Old Testament that we see Jesus manifested in the Old Testament through several appearances and stories. Several of them are huge pinnacle points of the Old Testament that cultivate and lead up to the Savior Messiah, Jesus, arriving in the New Testament. And a lot of scholars believe that when we read in the Old Testament the title, the angel of the Lord, that the Bible's talking about Jesus in those moments. Some of my favorite ones are when Jacob is running away from his family and there's this encounter that he has with the man and it says that he wrestled with him all night. That was one of the first Christophanies that we see in the Old Testament. When Moses is, is fleeing from Egypt and hiding in the wilderness, he comes across this burning bush, right? And this bush pronounces itself as the angel of the Lord. This is a manifestation of Jesus 
in the Old Testament. And that bush, that Savior that Jesus tells Moses in the Old Testament through this Christophany, that he was going to lead Israel out of captivity in Egypt, right? It was a salvation moment. Jesus is building up what he's going to do when it's all said and done. And then again, one of my favorite stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Jewish boys who are held captive in Babylon and who are told that they've got to bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And when they refuse, the king throws these three guys into this furnace as a death sentence. And as they're looking at the three guys in the furnace, all of a sudden a fourth appears. The angel of the Lord was with them in the fire in the flame, and pulled them out and saved them from destruction. And then we see the angel of the Lord appear to Gideon, give him a new identity, give him a new purpose, give him a new path, because that's what Jesus does. Jesus redeems, Jesus gives us purpose, Jesus gives us a path. And as we walk in faithful obedience to the path that Jesus creates for us, we start to walk step in step with his will and his plan for our life. See, throughout the whole story of scripture, Throughout the entire Bible, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Jesus is constantly making a way for us. And maybe whatever it is that you're in right now, maybe it's hard for you to see the path that God is paving for you, but trust in the fact that Jesus is undoubtedly already moving in your life, already planning and preparing for you, already moving in the direction that he wants you to move in, that he's called you to live in. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 34 say, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not Spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. If you need to hear anything today, hear these three things. Jesus is for us. Jesus is for you. Whatever wounds you're carrying, like Gideon carried, Jesus is still for you. No matter what pain or suffering you are carrying or enduring, Jesus is behind you. Jesus has your back, and Jesus is for you. Even when you can't see it, even when you doubt it, He is there. Jesus invites you. Jesus invites you into something special. There's no pre-qualifications required. There's no class you have to take, no knowledge you need to retain. Simply this, Jesus invites you to step into a relationship with him, to walk the plan and the path that he has created for you. And third and most importantly, Jesus redeems us. Jesus redeems us. He alone, not anything that you can do, not anything that is within your abilities or within your skill set, but by the power of God alone, through Christ Jesus, you are redeemed. 
When you step into relationship with Jesus, when you choose to accept him and step into baptism and walk this life in redemptive relationship with you, he redeems and restores you. And just like Gideon, and God wants to work through your wounds and through your struggles and through your doubts to bring new life and new purpose. I don't know what your plans or ambitions are for 2023, but this is, this is my verse that I'm holding on to. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old, the old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Man, God wants to do something new in your world. God wants to do something that you might not even expect yet. You're going through your list and coming up with resolutions. You might be missing something because I believe that God wants to do something that you can't even believe yet. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be going through a series called Start Here. It's going to be about putting rhythms and habits and patterns into our lives to facilitate walking with Jesus. You might remember a few weeks back when we were doing our Christmas movie series, I did this sermon. We were talking about the Grinch, right? And I talked about how the Grinch had this huge change of heart. It wasn't anything that the Grinch did because, guys, we don't have the ability or the power or the authority to change our hearts but we do know the one who has the power and the authority to transform our hearts. And so over the next month, we're gonna talk a lot about what does it look like to put ourselves in positions so that God has authority to move and transform and change so that we can grow in him and we can experience the new life that God has called us to live. And that new life, that new life is possible because of what Jesus does on the cross. Because without that, we have no hope. Without that, we have no salvation. We have no joy. We are, we're holding on because we have faithful hope in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And so because of what Jesus did, we're now made new and we have the opportunity to become a new person because God brought us back to himself through Christ. So we're going to come to this time of communion. If you have those elements with you, I want to invite you to get those ready. And I'm going to pray and give you some time to take communion before we continue and worship together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the redemptive, restorative work that you want to do in our lives. God, I thank you so much for the story of Gideon, for working in, in his life in such a way where he couldn't see the path that you had called him to, but yet he was faithful and obedient to step with you. And because of that, God, you showed up and you did great things. And I cannot wait to see what it looks like when we faithfully and obediently respond to you and see you work in magnificent ways in our lives. God, I thank you for what it is that you did through Jesus. That without him, we would have no hope. But because of him, we are redeemed and restored back to you. And so God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the price that you paid on the cross for us so that we could be redeemed back to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.